Okay, everybody, if you've been listening, this is the um, second time you've heard the name Carrie Childers in the last month because Carrie knows our passion out there to just bring Christ into everything that we do, especially into the marketplace. And right now there is just, I think our job leading others, either it is or it just feels like it has been much, much more difficult than I think it ever has been. I mean, things have changed. This is, I don't want to say once in a lifetime or unique or things like that, because we're going to go through adversity again in the future. Um, But I was talking with Carrie and she said, do you know Daniel Harkavy? I'm like, well, I don't know him, but I've read everything that guy's ever read. It's amazing. She goes, well, do you want to have him on the podcast? I'm like, what? So Daniel, welcome to the podcast. John, it is so good to be with you. And thank you for that intro. I appreciate it. Oh, it's exciting to have you here. I I know, you know, if you guys know the name Michael Hyatt, Michael Hyatt talks about his coach, that one man who has helped him, developed him, been with him as he did this. As I just heard about you from afar, Daniel, because you you worked with Michael and he talks about that. You guys wrote the book Living Forward Together as you guys were doing some work on life planning. And I was so excited for that book to come out because as a coach, I love to learn also from other coaches. Right. And I knew that that perspective was going to be in the book. And um, there's so much that you've done. And with that, you've come out with a book that I think is so important for right now. And that is The Seven Perspectives of Effective Leaders. And what I saw in the book in this framework right, right now, in the title of this episode, as you guys saw it clicked on it, was, is Leading in Uncertain Times. And what does that mean to lead? Right. When we're managing something, right, we're telling, I I believe this in my opinion, we're telling people what to do, we're making decisions, it's kind of hierarchical. When we're leading, we're actually helping others to make decisions. We're making decisions that affect others, we're developing people, we have to get the work done. And right now, making decisions is harder than ever before. So we're going to dig into some things that I know are going to equip you not only to just lead better, but also bring your faith into that, that world as you do that also. So, but with that said, Daniel, I'd love for you to share a little bit about kind of who you are, your background, your, your journey leading up to what you're doing now today. Well, thanks, John. Uh, a lot said there and, uh, in a tight time frame like we have, my mind always races because there's so much in the story that mm-hmm. has taken place to get me to where I am today. But uh, I'll, I'll try to go pretty quickly so that we can talk about, um, I think, what the listeners are probably hoping that we talk about, which is how can they lead themselves, their teams, and their organizations better. But I believe, as do you, that before you take advice from somebody, you need to know who they are. So thanks for asking. So 56 years old, married to my sweetheart, high school sweetheart, junior high school sweetheart, excuse me. Wow, you don't hear about that a lot. Yeah, we, we met uh, age 11, first day of school, and that's a whole story in itself. And she was instrumental in my faith journey because I grew up Jewish, Jewish parents, Jewish grandparents. And uh, Sherry uh, fought this teenage battle between loving God and loving me. And God did win. But then he used uh, an accident, a skiing accident to uh, disrupt my success path. I was in banking from age 20 to 30. 
And uh, I was a, a surfer drummer from Southern California. You know, my faith was uh, uh, faith in the fact that I was going to have fun in today, but really had no idea of who the creator was. So, so anyways, you fast forward to like 22 years old, been in banking for a couple of years, doing really, really well, skiing accident. Sherry and I were broken up at the time, and this was probably our eighth breakup, but this was like nine months in the making. We, we were separated for quite a while. Skiing accident leads me to three surgeries, and there were numerous people that surrounded me over the years that would always share with me you know, this, this question. They would say, hey, do you know Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? And my response was like, well, I don't need to. I'm chosen. But I had no idea what I was chosen for. But that usually stopped the conversation. And in, in the chosen, did that come just from your Jewish faith, right? Yeah, everyone, Christians would say, oh, you're chosen. And I was like, okay, cool. Then don't bug me. Because <laughs> you're freaky people. And my like, uh, gosh, Doug, leave me alone. Yeah, really. I was like, golly, you're crazy people. <laughs> yeah, beautiful family, you know, my parents, but we had our own dysfunction and brokenness. Extended family were quite well to do. And I was putting all of my hope and faith in money. And like I said, mm. at 22, doing really, really well. And uh, I thought Christianity was something for those who, who are really broken, you know, the really bad people. And, right. and I'd done some bad things, but I just didn't put myself on, on their level. Uh, and then came the skiing accident, and it was time for me to examine what does Jewish really mean? I'd hit bottom, mm -hmm. living in my own house, my Mercedes, I couldn't drive, sitting in the garage because I'm laid up. And I'm off work for nine months, can't surf, can't do anything fun, can't be the party guy that I was. Okay, fast forward, I come to faith in the Yeshua, the Messiah of the Jews, the one who was the group of people that were chosen by God to have this crazy relationship with him. And we can't really understand why it was them, but it was. And I happened to have that bloodline in me. And I happened to realize that uh, uh, I needed a Messiah. So that's 22. My career starts to take off. Sherry and I, at the same time, come back together. We get married. I'm now promoted into a management position, which is part of the story because I'm not a, a college graduate and uh, now I'm a manager leader and I need to learn a way. My way becomes coaching. I believe if you help people to get clear on where they want to go and map out the steps that will get them there, and then you encourage them and encourage them and encourage them, you'll make a difference in their lives. And that was my core belief at that time. So I built a branch in banking. I went on to lead the entire production team throughout the Western United States by the time I was 27, 28 years old, three kids at the time. Now in and that, in that part of your life though, as you were, you know, you're having kids, you're still in banking, Daniel, is, is that when you focused on the coaching? I was coaching everybody during that time. That's what I filled my days with coaching the competition and coaching the people that worked with me. So you didn't know, did you know what it really was or that's just what just worked for you? It seemed you said, okay, this is getting me results. So this is the mode I'm going to operate in. Is that kind of what happened? Yeah, I would bring a, a folder in and, yeah. uh, you know, a journal, an old Wilson Jones columnar pad. And I would write down your name and I'd say, all right, John Ramstead, here we go. And I'd write you down and find out about you. And we'd have this conversation. I'd write everything down about you. And I'd ask you about where you wanted to be five, 10 years from now, personally and professionally. I'd ask you about your plans to get there. And I'd ask how I could help you. And then I would follow up. And that's what I would do with people I wanted on my team, as well as my team. And it really worked. I mean, we grew, 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 grew. And that's a whole nother story. Take me to age 30. And uh, now I'm running production. I've got kids that are age one, three, and five. Yeah. And I'm at a Promise Keeper event. 
And uh, the company had just gone public a few years earlier. I was being groomed to replace uh, in a succession plan, the founding CEO. Promise Keeper event happens, and I hear that I'm pursuing the wrong things. Been walking in, in faith for about eight years, but I was still immature and putting a lot of hope and energy into making money, which uh, is not bad. What, what would you say you were pursuing at the time? It was all money. I mean, for me, it was money and it was pride. And I was transforming, but I hadn't really shifted yet as to what mm. I wanted to uh, devote my life to and who I wanted to devote it to. So I came back from Promise Keepers. What year was that, Daniel? I wonder if we were at the same one. 95 Anaheim, California. I was at, that's the one no, I went to. That was to 94. Also. I got out of the Navy in January 95. I went to a Promise Keepers. We might have been there together. Wow. It was 95. World. Yeah, it was April 95. I resigned. Wow. I worked through July. I moved to Oregon in October, uprooted my family. We'd surfed and hung out on vacation and just tried to figure out what we're going to do. Kids again, 135, moved to Oregon. And then, uh, 30 years old, uh, started building champions, an executive coaching and leadership development company. And, uh, that's now 25 years old. We had another child, you know, since that time, two of the kids have gotten married. We became grandparents building champions is now, a, a team of about 35, 40 of us coaches and support that uh, all spend our days walking alongside leaders and organizations here in the U.S. as well as internationally helping them lead themselves and, and their teams better. So, I have a question for you. Um, before we dive into, I think, some of the work you've done with leaders, you, you said transform, but I hadn't shifted yet. And I think there's a lot of people out there because it, it resonated with me. I know there's a point in my life I was, I was in like this transformation mode that shift, I knew I hadn't made it. I didn't really know what it looked like, but I knew I wanted to. You know, if you can almost bring yourself back to that place before and after that shift, what happened in that middle, what would you share with people maybe listening right now, Daniel, that want to make that shift and haven't, you know, put it from, you know, first gear into second gear yet, so to speak? You know, I, I think we all walk our own journey, John. And, and for me, it was an abrupt halt, stop, walk away from an incredibly lucrative career more than I ever thought I would have. Mm. And then a few months later, sell my home in Southern California and move to Oregon. It was radical. Like people thought I was crazy. My wife was like, I'll follow you. She did not want to move to Oregon in the beginning when I first started thinking about it, but she saw it and it was one of the greatest moves ever. Her parents showed up, they moved up with us, her sister and brother-in-law. And, and then in that year off, that sabbatical time, I was able to really consider what was it that I could do that would enable me to make a difference in the lives of people. And I put three business plans together, mm. the coaching, which back in 95, 96, no one had heard of a bagel shop because it would allow me to work in the mornings. And I'd be the guy that would walk through the restaurant and, and greet everybody as they started their day. And I wanted to be sunshine for them and encourage them and, and connect with people in the community. And I thought that would be a great way for me to live out my faith and just welcoming people and giving them a beautiful experience as they started their days, 12 o'clock would hit, I'd be done. I'd go home with my family. 
at the time, you know, I left a career where I was on the road all the time. So I liked the bagel shop. And then the third idea was the surf shop, the boardroom. And that was because when I was young and, you know, partying surfer, drummer, California guy, a guy owned a surf shop inland California in Cabina. And he was a, a little older than I was. He was a professional surfer. He was a, a man of faith. And, uh, and he modeled what it meant to be a Christian to a whole bunch of us derelict kids. And he played a role in my faith journey as well. So I wanted to do one of the three. And here we are 25 years later and building champions was the one that won. And I am grateful. So, wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I love your story and how you just made some, you know, God showed you some, here's something I'm taking away. God showed you the truth. He showed you, gave you a vision, right? You want to make a difference in people's lives and you acted on it. And a lot of times, right. We sit here and we dither. I know I have, right. Do I go left? Do I go right? And you know what God showed me at one point, if I'm just sitting here at the Y in the road with this, his lamp shining on my feet, but it's the dirt's there. Am I really stewarding what I have? Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, there's times where we have to rest and there's times where we have to wait, but just standing and standing and standing. So I love that, but that led you into, and I think this is so important. We have so many leaders in our audience, people that run CEOs of very large companies, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, a lot of coaches, uh, nonprofit leaders. As you are working with people right now and in the time frame that we're in, what are you noticing that's happening uh, that's coming up with the leaders that you're working with, with their teams and their organizations? Okay, so it connects back to your last question as well which was how do you make that move when you're at that why in the road? Yeah. So many of us, we want certainty before we make a decision. And in our faith journey, very much like leading an organization today, very rarely are we ever going to get the gift of certainty. It's going to require faith and courage. So in order for us to lead forward, we've got to do what we need to do in order to get our minds to a place of having clarity so that we can then engage the executive functions in our brain and we can think in a calm state, we grow our confidence and then we act out with courage. And that's what moving forward in your faith is. You, you take a step in confidence and in courage by faith because things line up. Now you're not completely certain and you could fail. And if you do fail people of faith, you know that you're not gonna drop to where he doesn't catch you. So, you know, in Psalm 23, it ends, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. All right, rest mm -hmm. on that and just move forward. Like just move forward. Yeah, we look at the word and we want to make sure things line up and we get good counsel from people around us who walk with God and who hear from him. And then we make the decision knowing that it is a step of faith. All right, let's connect that to leading in 2020, 2021. Yeah. Here we are in one of the most insane times that most of us have ever seen. What we're experiencing is we're experiencing what I call limbic system overload. It started mid-March when everything moved so quickly, we lost our freedom, we lost rhythm, we lost routine. All of a sudden, we have a new enemy. We've got immense fear around COVID as well as what does the, the shutdown measures globally mean for us, the economic impact that throws the limbic system into overload. And, and then and when you say limbic system, 
for people that aren't familiar with that, what? Yeah, so share a little bit about that. The limbic system. This is the part of our brain and our nervous system that it releases chemicals. There's a little part in our brain called the amygdala back here. It stores emotional memories. And then as a result of what happens with those emotional memories, it releases different hormones and basically just these juices, okay? Uh, such as dopamine, which makes you feel good, right? Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of ways that we can trigger dopamine, the feel good chemical. Serotonin keeps you in balance. I mean, there's, yep. there's a lot. God has designed a system that really wants to keep you at your best. And yes. we keep like doing everything in our lives to actually tear that down, don't we? But yeah, we do. And then, you know, uh, with you being who you are and what you've done, man, you get the other side too. So yeah. you understand the limbic system can release cortisol and it can release adrenaline and cortisol and adrenaline triggers that fight, flight, or freeze mechanism in our brain. And when that happens, when cortisol and when adrenaline pulse through our brains and our bodies, our executive functions shut down, yeah. we hyper-focus and we go fight, flight, or freeze. All right, March 15th hit, and all of a sudden we started to experience that. And mm -hmm. it's okay when you experience that, when somebody's coming to get you, a lion's going to jump out and, and attack you. We want that to work, but we don't want that to be taking place day after day because social media and the news is telling us that everyone's gonna die. And then you move to May here in the United States and in May, everything gets worse with just a, a horrific atrocity that we watch. Most of us have never seen something happen with our police force and another human being and now social injustice is front and center and all of us are triggering again. So we're walking around with broken routines, loss of freedom, loss of income for many. Loss of connection concerns. with other people. Yeah, and we're designed to be in community. Yeah. And now how we see one another is ramped up. Okay, then you move to here in Oregon. All of a sudden, you got fires everywhere. And over on the other side of the country, you've got hurricanes and all sorts of craziness. And it's amping even up. Limbic system overload, cortisol, adrenaline, bump, bump, bump. Then you move into the most divisive political environment that John, you and I have ever seen. Agreed. And now what's happening with us humans is we're losing it. And as you and I record this, I'm in day two of shutdown again. So what's happening is leaders. We have to understand I'm with on average, I don't know how many thousands of people via zoom a month. And I always ask them when I'm doing these webinars, hey, what's the dominant emotion you're all feeling right now? Give me it for the last two weeks. And I haven't put it in the chat screen right down below. And, and I see the same words and I've been seeing them since uh, I started doing this like March 23rd. And my team, I've got 24, 25 coaches. We're doing them all the time, these webinars. And we're helping leaders to improve how they lead themselves, their teams and organizations. The chat screen fills up, overwhelmed, frustrated, afraid, tired, stressed out, apathetic, hopeful, gratitude, thankful, afraid, pissed, frustrated, angry, stressed out. You get 90% of the responses are the responses that are the result of emotional memories, limitations, bad things happening. And if you have those executive functions shut down, that's where we think logically and creatively. That's where mm. we're able to deploy empathy and connect with other humans what you'll realize is that it's really hard to lead on the offense. So the question was, how do we lead in these uncertain times? We need a framework 
that will enable us to think clearly. We need clarity. Yes, we do need a framework. And I want to share something. I had a severe traumatic brain injury, the front and left lobe. So my executive functions were severely damaged. You know, this happened in an instant. And everything that you're talking about, right? Social filters, emotional control, rational thought, uh, decision-making. They would test me on decision-making. And what I'm hearing from what you're saying in this is that, you know what? What happened to me by being thrown off a horse into a fence Something similar can happen to us if we don't have a framework to let the limbic system almost do the same thing. Is that accurate, Daniel? Like, I, I mean, we can really compromise our cognitive, rational, executive abilities when we get to a, we descend to a level of mental health, which is not where we're meant to be. Is, is that fair? Yeah, it's very fair. Wow. And, you know, the difference is, you were made aware of it as the result of a very traumatic experience. And then you were surrounded by therapists and physicians to help you to move forward. Yes. A speech therapist. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I probably 20 or 30 different kinds of specialists helping me. And most of the leaders like listening right now, you know what they're doing? They're sitting here listening to this podcast, working out or going for a walk. They probably feel alone. They might have a coach. They might have a group or a small community. And I think, I know Pinnacle Forum and, and Convene just did a study. I think it's less than 15% of leaders actually have a defined community of peers around them. So I think what I would say is most of these people are really struggling and they don't really know what to do next. Or that's how it feels. How's that? Spot on. And that's yeah. why in you know, my, the book that I just released three weeks ago, you want to talk about either awful timing or divine timing. Yeah. Um, the seventh perspective in the framework is the perspective of the outsider mm -hmm. because the best leaders won't go it alone. They need somebody to process with, to think with, who will encourage them and keep them, you know, within the rails and moving forward. So this framework is so it's exciting, right? The number one, current reality, number two, vision, number three, strategic bets, number four, the team, five customer, the customer, and then six, that perspective around your role. So, oh my gosh, we could do like a two or three hour podcast. Let me ask you a question. What would be a great place to start? Because one of the things we talked about, you've shared about, you know, leading in these uncertain times, is how do we make better decisions? How do we approach things, I think, back from a healthier place so we have that positive influence over others? So with that, I'll, I'll just leave it up to you to, to go where you think would be most helpful to everyone. All right. So the first thing is you need to come to a place and, and listeners, I'm going to make a statement and you're going to need to either agree or disagree. If you disagree, you should probably hit pause and move on. Mm. If you agree, then we jump into the framework. For six years, I've been sitting across the table from leaders, whether they lead Daimler, Mercedes-Benz out of Germany, whether they lead Chick-fil-A, whether they lead Nike, whether they lead uh, the Ritz-Carlton Hotels, uh, whether they lead Delta Airlines, chairman of the board. A lot of these characters are in the book. I've been sitting across the table from them and many of them instituting this framework into their organizations. But I asked them the question, and that is, do you agree with this statement? A leader's effectiveness is determined by just two things, only two things, the decisions you make and the influence you have. 
Think about everything a leader needs to do, who a leader needs to be. They need to be masterful at decision-making and they need to have maximum influence in order to move an organization towards a better tomorrow. Anything else required? I've had one leader, very, very uh, iconic leader say, you know, Daniel, there's integrity. And I said, well, yes, of course there's integrity and that's required in order just to be a, a good leader. But I'm talking about an effective leader. Integrity is required to get onto the game field. Okay. Yes, everything. Strategy, alignment, succession, you know, execution, all of it falls into these decision-making and influence buckets. Mm-hmm. All right. There's a military term and it's called VUCA. And I'm, sure. you're nodding your head, you know, post cold war back in the late eighties, VUCA is introduced in military strategy because the old one enemy strategy no longer works. And you could preach on this better than I could, but they say that we're now entering into a space. This is in the late eighties of VUCA volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Well, we have none of those today, but go ahead. Yeah. None of that applies today. So, Hey, leaders, VUCA, like get comfy because the emotions that come when you wake up every day with volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, well, there goes the limbic system. Mm. And your job is to to think well and to help people around you to think well. The best teams are thinking really well right now as they're heading into more uncertainty. So what I say in the seven perspectives of effective leaders, and you can check it out at the seven perspectives.com or on Amazon or anywhere else. It came out October 20th. It's a walk through the framework. But what I say is if you'll spend your days with intentional curiosity and with discipline, doing your best to understand current reality, which is the starting point, well, then now you're grounded in current reality and you can make great decisions and everyone all around you will know you understand the business. What's happening? What, what got you here? They'll understand and know that you understand what's happening current reality from a competitive legislative, from a health perspective, you're up to speed. You know what it's like to do the work, to deliver the work, to experience the work. You're not an ivory tower leader. Let's just say I've been under stress for a while, right? The serotonin and dopamine have taken a vacation. I'm operating from this place of caffeine and anxiety. And so it's harder for me. What are some things that we can do to get back to a place so we can actually start making better decisions and then helping our team make better decisions? That's good. So John, you and I didn't talk about this before, but when I told you we're in front of thousands of people a week, that's one of the conversations we have, yeah. which is your own well-being, personal mm-hmm. well-being, and then team well-being. Those are webinars that we're doing all the time. And we walk people through the practices because you know, I, I said this earlier, self-leadership always precedes team effectiveness. Team effectiveness always precedes organizational impact. Self-leadership, mm-hmm. team leadership, organizational leadership. How I feel when I'm alone impacts how I feel to you, consciously and subconsciously. What kind of energy am I transferring to you? So I need to be transferring a calm, clear, confident, courageous type of posture. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have challenges or fear. You know, we could go back to the Stockdale paradox, which would be a whole detour from what you asked me. Listeners, 
you've got to take care of yourselves. So you do need to be eating well. You do need to be taking breaks during the day. You can't be going zoom to zoom to zoom to zoom. You do need to be exercising. You do need to be limiting what you intake because a lot of us will try to self-medicate with different things, whether it be food, drink, or others. You need to limit. You need to treat your body as if it were this high-performing machine because it is. Years ago, HBR did a piece on the making of a corporate athlete where they connected how we take care of our health, mm. which for me is spiritual, mental, relational well-being and health, right? How we take care of our health impacts how effective we are as leaders. And that's under attack in 2020 and 2021 for many. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that you've got a really good self-care program. Your morning time is key. You show me your first 60 to 90 minutes of the day, and I will tell you what kind of leader you're going to be at the end of the week. If you're putting news and social media and crap into your head first thing in the day, well, that crap's going to manifest itself in your decision-making, your posture, what you're thinking about, what you're believing. So since you and I are talking to a group of people of faith, this is a time to dive deep. This is face down. This is begging, pleading, and eating of the good stuff. Because right now, we need to be leaders who are bringing hope and light, perspective to vision, a better tomorrow. Yeah, one of the things I had to do uh, is make some changes going into this because I felt that weight, that pressure. I got to tell you, there are times, Daniel, I'll just be honest, I was tired. Mm -hmm. I lost perspective because I'm just yep. feel like I'm grinding it out. And I'm, you know, every day you and I, you know, we're working with people who, uh, regardless of the decisions they make, there's some adverse consequences. Like we're not going to survive. I have to lay off yeah. 20 people who've been with me for 15 years. But anyway, what I made a choice was because a friend of mine shared this with me in the morning. The first thing I do is read Jesus calling mm. and I have never journaled before. I'm not a journaler, but I started journaling and here's my journal. Right on. Because you know what? You were talking about something and I had to turn back two pages but, it, it, you know, God, you know, led me the other day to that verse where he said, hey, you know what? Adversity exists, right? To give us perseverance yeah. which is, or patience. That exists to give us character. Yes. Character exists to give us hope. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's hope in the Lord. You know, and he reconnected some of this stuff I'm going through. He just said, you know what? You got to look at it from my context, not yours. Yep. Talk about self-care. Just reconnecting to that morning, like to... I was a different person that day. So I would just encourage everyone out there. And if you're not, if it's not a habit of yours, go find some of your friends that have made it a habit and jump back into it. You couldn't ask for a better time. I so agree. You know, uh, every day I start my day off with the same prayer. So I've got this whole morning routine where I go face down and I make a, a few different morning drinks to, to take care of the physical temple and face down to take care of the spiritual temple. And then I have the same prayer every morning and then the same routine, you know, this year it's been for the most part at home, but most years it's here in the same spot in my home or whatever hotel room or venue I might find myself in doing what I get to do. But the prayer, there's three parts to it. And the first part is all adoration and understanding who he is versus who I am. Yeah. The second part goes like this, and I, I share it with you because of what you just shared from the trial through the faith. 
mm-hmm. the character, the persevering. And what I ask for every day in this middle part is I say, Lord, help me to be who you want me to be so that I can do what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. Being before doing. And then I say, help me to see people like you see them. Help me to love them like you love them. And may I serve them in ways that bring you fame and glory. May I strive to please an audience of one. Use me to flip the switches up on the hearts of everybody that I encounter today. Always striving to bring you fame and glory. Then I move into part three, which is where I beg and beg and beg and plead and thank and all over. But that middle part, there's just something beautiful about it. And I feel like he has honored it just about every day. And oftentimes I'll interject, you know, help me to see people the way you see them. My wife, my kids, my granddaughter, my neighbors, the people at the grocery store, the restaurant, my team, you know, I'll just start, help me to see them. politician you disagree with. Yeah. I was sitting there railing about somebody and I I got a spiritual slap upside the head. Yeah. And God said, I, you know what, that's my daughter and I love her. And why are you cursing her like this? Oh, that's good, buddy. Now here's also what I realized is we do that at a different scale in our work environment. And here's a challenge to folks listening. How well do each of us, and this is something I have to challenge myself on, work with people that have very different values and core beliefs than us? Yeah. Because if we don't choose to serve, to love, to operate with excellence in the business environment as a little microcosm of the whole world, we're going to lose our ability to have influence over others. It's easy to influence, I think, other people that maybe agree with us. But the real, if you've really worked on this, what Daniel's talking about, really connecting to who you truly are, who God made you to be, and you're out in the marketplace as a light, as an ambassador, and you're operating with excellence, you will have be able to pull people into a decision-making process that normally might not want to work with you. But you're the one that's different. And you know what? And that is a compliment. Yeah, it's a beautiful deal. I mean, we have to see people the way he sees them. And I love what you just said. Mm. That politician, that's God's image bearer. Yeah, 100%. It, we're all these image bearers, and that's what we need to see. And, and we have to appreciate the difference. And then we have to allow the Holy Spirit to do its work. What we do is we show up and we love and we encourage love and good works. That's our job. Mm-hmm. So you think about that as a leader, now, leaders, you're, you're leading either not-for-profit or for-profit businesses. There's constituents that expect you to deliver results. Whether it's for-profit or not-for-profit, you're in your leadership role because you are being entrusted to be a steward of the seat. So therefore, you have to drive the organization forward to get results. The way that you do that is by thinking mission first, people always So the mission is going to come first as a man or woman of integrity in that leadership role. You need to deliver the results. You need to lead the mission. And we're always thinking about people and diversity in those that we lead actually makes us better. Yeah. Now, oftentimes, John, people struggle with this because they're afraid. When you start to get angry at people who believe differently than you do, what's at the core of that anger? What's at the core of that frustration? It's your own fear. It's your own insecurity because you don't want to get into a conversation with somebody who sees the world completely different. And it brings out this opposition reaction instead of 
an intentional curiosity reaction, which is help me to understand your story. I want to know you. I want to know what you think and believe. I want to know what's behind your words, your behaviors. And what I want to do is I want to find goodness in you. And see, you just did something there that's so beautiful that we can all model. When we hear something that's counter to maybe our opinion or agenda is let go and just ask a question and be really curious about the answer versus in your mind, allowing yourself to go to a place of being critical or judging. Yes. What is it? What makes them, what really makes them believe that? Because I don't think any of that is true. But what if we became intensely curious instead of intensely critical? Yeah, it's huge. That would change our work environment like overnight. And then you know what? Our politicians are a reflection of those that elect them. If if we did what Daniel's talking about, we could literally change overnight. And then we would have a whole new group of politicians in about two years or less. And nobody would be complaining anymore. I mean, that is the opportunity that is in front of us. I agree. You know, if, if we would just try to understand there's, you know, there, there's a saying, one of my clients says, and he says, I want to surround myself with bridge builders, not moat builders. Mm. And too many of us try to build a moat around our thinking and our belief. And you're only allowed in if you think like, and believe like me. Oh, yuck. Yuck. That's not the design. That's a stinky moat. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a design. Let's be bridge builders and let's figure out how to bring together Now let's get back to the seven perspectives and let's talk about leadership effectiveness. Your job is to create this momentum from a diverse group of people who think differently. You've got engineers that think differently than your marketers. You've got financial analysts that think different than do your salespeople. You've got people on the front lines making it, you know, bolt by bolt, or they're delivering the service human by human. And they all have different life stories and they all have different beliefs. But what you need to do is you need to be so bought into the mission and vision of the organization perspective too, that you align them together so that they can then move the organization from current reality perspective one to perspective three, which are strategic bets. That's what you execute on because that moves the organization forward. And you're always asking people with intentional curiosity, your teammates and your customers for where they're at, what they need in order for you to help them to be more successful. Those are those perspectives. That curiosity is bridge building. That curiosity is aligning. And then you align people around a vision. You have them operate out of the reality that you're experiencing today. You have them executed on those bets you have that outsider, so you're not the lonely leader who doesn't have anybody to process with. And those six perspectives impact your role. So bring in our conversation full circle, John. Yeah. Right now, leading in uncertain times, you need a framework where you can connect the leadership dots, make it simple to understand. You're never going to have certainty in the decisions that you make, but if you will apply the model Monday through Friday, you fill your calendar with intentional curiosity in those first five perspectives. You have an interject from the seventh perspective. Your role will change. And the question you ask on Friday is this, and that is, did I, with rigor and discipline, invest time with a spirit of intentional curiosity into those five? And how's my decision making an influence growing as a result of it? If you want to lead in uncertain times, 
you bring a thinking model to your team. Everybody starts to communicate that way. You look at the business that way. Your decision-making will increase. Your influence will increase. Limbic system will calm down. You'll move forward with courage and confidence and clarity. And, uh, you know, back to why would we release it in October of 2020 instead of punting into 2021? My belief as I've seen what this has done in many organizations is the sooner we can get this into leaders' hands, the better off they'll be. So there you go. Let me ask you this. Is you have worked with a leader and they understand this framework and they're, you know, they're moving forward. Some have better outcomes than others, but we're changing our, how we're looking at outcomes, right? It's not failure, but it's courage. There's confidence and clarity. As that leader moves forward in that mode or makes some progress toward that, small steps, what is their ability to then take that, share that, and bring that now into their team and equip their team to do the same thing? Well, that's where it starts to multiply. So at Building Champions, our executive coaching company, we actually lead executive retreats where in a day and a half, we spend time with the entire leadership team walking through each of those perspectives. So they all come together and have a common language and understanding around their current reality, around where they're going with their vision, around their strategic bets, how the team's doing and understanding what the team needs in order to be successful, all centered on the bullseye, which is to add extreme value to the customer. So you can bring the language into the organization. We just had a, we do these CEO roundtables, John, and, and CHRO roundtables. We do them regularly. Mm-hmm. And we just did a CHRO roundtable on Monday where we had the head of people and talent from uh, an international multi-billion dollar company headquartered in, in Europe. And she's been using the model with her CEO and their executive team since 2015. And uh, one of our CEO mentors interviewed her with the rest of the CHROs there to talk about how is this helping you to present yourself as an even more valuable executive. And in that role, CHRO, there's been a big value shift in that role over the last five years. I mean, people are everything. So she walked through it. She's like, oh, it's, it's game changer. You know, now we all align thinking. We talk strategic bets. We shift them. Sometimes we pivot because our current realities shifted. We remind vision. We bring it into every decision we make. She's like, yeah, it's changed the game for us. And they're the global marketplace leader in their space. Mm. So teams need to speak it. They need to think it. They, they plan meetings around it. It's a great thinking leadership framework. Oh, uh, the, well, I could keep talking forever, uh, Daniel. This has been awesome. How, first of all, how do people connect with you, find you, get the book, follow up from hearing parts of this conversation? I want to be part of your webinars. I tell you, I'm, I'm going to sign up for that. And I'd love to help you promote that just so people can plug into that through our whole platform and network. So but how, how do we do that, my friend? Thank you. Yeah. So we've got a podcast as well, the Building Champions podcast, and it's a we have a few seasons out there. We'll, we'll have more coming on that. But you can learn about Building Champions at buildingchampions.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Daniel Harkavy, H-A-R-K-A-V-Y. I'm on Facebook. I try to get back to all of my correspondence there within 24 hours. So be patient. If you've got questions on what John and I are talking about, reach out that way. The book is uh, available everywhere. I don't know if you'll see it in an airport these days. 
it's a whole new game. But, might be uh, there. You, you know can, what? You might get a discount at Hudson right now. You never know. You can get a discount <laughs> everywhere. As a matter of fact, if you go to the seven perspectives.com, the seven perspectives.com, that's the book's web page. There's an assessment you can take on it. It's free. It shows you where you've got strength and opportunity to grow in comparison to a dynamic database that is shifting every time somebody takes the assessment. And at the bottom, there are a few bonus materials that were given out. But at the bottom, you can click on the different buying sites. It's Barnes & Noble, Amazon. But there's one that's Baker Books, and that's our publisher. Baker will definitely be offering um, the, the biggest discount. And you can just click on Baker Books and buy it directly from the publisher. And I think you're probably going to get the book for uh, the most affordable price there. Yeah. So that's how you connect with us. And Awesome. Yeah. So connect with Daniel. You want to add a great podcast to your rotation. Uh, building champions, go on there and hit subscribe. That's a big deal for how we can get in front of more people uh, for Daniel. And so just, Hey, as we wrap up Daniel and everybody's been listening to this conversation, what's just a final thought you'd like to leave with everybody? Hmm. Well, first off, uh, immense gratitude to you, John. Thank you for allowing me to be your guest. Oh, my it's pleasure. a privilege. You know, I shared with you earlier, one of the greatest things about releasing a book is just all the cool, great, wonderful, switched on people you get to meet. And you're right there, buddy. You've made my day better. All of you listening, you follow John because you guys align with John and his worldview and, and how he and I both think and see uh, life and leadership, the immense privilege. We talked about self-care. We talked about really taking care of your mind, body, spirit, soul. It's the most important thing. You know, if this thing's fast forwarding and it's going to release right around Thanksgiving or right thereafter, we're coming into a season where we do get to celebrate. We get to celebrate an eternal difference making event called Christmas. And my hope is regardless of what you've encountered this year, John mentioned journaling, regardless of how much pain you've endured, how difficult it's been. I know some of you have some real extreme hardships this year and my heart breaks for you. Do what you can to, uh, to write down what you're grateful for, to get yourself back into that posture, and to move forward with faith. Take care of yourself. And uh, like I shared, fall to your knees every single morning. He is greater than he is in the world, and he wants to use us to flip switches up on the hearts of everybody we come into contact with. Thanks, John. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel.